Yes, that was a rocket launch and that's because we have with us on today's show someone who works on space. Hello, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes how do they go about exploring it further. And on today's show as you heard we have someone who is really working on initiatives and technologies that can truly transform humanity. Her name is Dr. Iowana Kosmuta and Dr. Iowana works at the Science and Technology Corporation and she's currently the microgravity lead at Space Portal at NASA Ames Research Center. Now, I'm sure there are a bunch of terms in there which might be foreign to you. They were foreign for me at least. So the Space Portal is a branch of NASA Ames Research Center and if you check out their website, their mission is to promote the development of a new space economy and they are literally working on various initiatives to promote the development of an economy in space and around space and around all space related stuff and one of those initiatives is what Dr. Iowana is working on. She is the microgravity lead and she describes her job as the creation of a robust economy in low earth orbit. So if you check out the definition of low earth orbit on Wikipedia, low earth orbit basically refers to an orbit around earth with an altitude between 160 kilometers to about 2000 kilometers. So as an example, the International Space Station is in the low earth orbit. And what Dr. Iwana is working on is in figuring out what are the various ways in which we can promote a thriving economy in this region. So as an example, let's say you manufacture materials in low earth orbit as opposed to manufacturing them on earth, then due to the unique qualities of this region, uh, for example, there's just lower gravity there as opposed to amount of gravity on earth, the characteristics of the materials when they're manufactured there might be different compared to what they're like when they're manufactured on earth. And that just lends them to different use cases. So those are the kind of things that Dr. Yona is working on. So it's really, really very exciting stuff. And in terms of her background, she's clearly a very accomplished individual. She's presented her work at a number of universities and events. She's uh, spoken at National Academy of Sciences. She's given a TEDx talk about her work. She's published a number of papers. And in terms of her educational background, she has a PhD in physics. She has a postdoctorate in computational chemistry from California Institute of Technology or Caltech. And she also has a postdoctorate in computational biochemistry from Stanford University. So 
clearly a highly accomplished individual and uh, i hope you really enjoyed this discussion because personally for me at least it was a very eye opening discussion as it introduced me to something that i wasn't even aware of so i hope you find this discussion as interesting as i did and without further ado let's welcome dr yowana to the show Hello Dr. Yohana how are you thank you so much for your time i'm very very thrilled to have you on the podcast thank you sonali thanks for the invitation and for the opportunity to talk to you no absolutely it is completely my honor to have you and i have to ask you what is it like to work at nasa i mean that's so many people's dream job to be at nasa Um so one clarification I wanted to make is that I work for Science and Technology Corporation and through that I support the space portal at NASA Ames Research Center um it is indeed a very exciting place to to work there's a lot of very interesting technology cutting edge technologies that have been developed uh, through the space program especially in this group that's a, a very innovative group the opportunities that we're seeking here or we're we're exploring here is to use these space technologies to address to solve and and produce a, a direct outcome to big problems that humanity is facing right now i think that's that's uh, probably the the most exciting opportunity that we're currently exploring and actively working on Yeah no I mean it is clear that you're working on things that can completely change the face of humanity. I would love to know no this is just out of curiosity. What was your first day like? That's back in 2003 in the Center for Nanotechnology and honestly I do not remember my first work. I I didn't really had this as an objective of my career. It happened in a haphazard or serendipitous manner I could say. Mm-hmm. At that point I was fully focused on computational chemistry and understanding how matter behaves at atomistic level and doing simulation at this level so that I could predict larger scale systems behavior. And when I joined Ames I actually joined the Center for Nanotechnology at that time and uh, worked on a project which was more or less a continuation to what I started at Stanford in uh, designing a solid state nanopore for DNA sequencing I thought that the application of it to NASA missions was a very interesting twist such a, a miniaturized nanopore sensor was envisioned to help monitor astronaut health on orbit or long duration space travel as well as maybe used to identify whether there is life like forms on other planets wow so uh, maybe i think it will be very helpful if you can describe your field of work and and also describe it in as layman's terms as possible because uh, i'm not sure including myself how many of us truly understand all the scientific terms yeah so you mean my my current work or my previous work because again i've turned from a scientist into an engineer and from an engineer to more like an entrepreneur 
a person who does more technology assessments, evaluating these kind of technologies, especially the long-term possible effects of these technologies, the soundness of the technologies, and working at the intersection of commercial, government, and private sector. So which part exactly do you want me to clarify here? Right. So I, I guess for the purposes of this discussion, then uh, let's focus on your role today. So how, how would you describe your work today? I see my role being as a connector between government, the new space move, a lot of commercial companies in, in the new space move, and the private sector at, at large. Through what you mentioned earlier, microgravity as well as space resources. In particular, what I started to think more and more lately and at the same time try to to construct the perspective of what does robust economy in Earth's orbit look like and how could we integrate that into our daily lives in terms of taking the resources from space and turning them into added value to Earth uh, and to our living. And that could mean added value in terms of GDP, but also added value in terms of improving quality of life on Earth, such as uh, moving, for example, manufacturing, heavy heavy polluting or heavy resource uh, intensive manufacturing from ground into space. I see. Yeah, so I think maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the commercialization aspects of low Earth orbit, which you might be very excited about or which you think have the most promise in the future. I think one of the analysis that I've been doing is trying to look at, for example, the integrated circuit manufacturing on ground and in space. I think there is a tendency to think that, for example, printing integrated circuits or manufacturing integrated circuits in space is a translational move of the manufacturing on ground. And that's one clarification I I, I like to make, that actually what happens in, in space needs to be completely redesigned end to end. So how do you design a facility? How do you put the right hardware on this facility? How do you use the local resources of space in a very different manner than on ground? So, for example, the integrated circuits production in 2015 was 900 billion units. And for each integrated circuit, in average, there was about 2,200 gallons of water that was being used. That amount of water has been increasing within time. In space, there's no need to use water because you have the natural environment of cold environment of space used for cooling. And that means that you're directly saving water resources. You're you're, uh, leaving water in its pristine form. The interesting part about it is that NASA uh, deployed behind the space shuttle integrated circuit fab lab called the Wake Shield facility. 
and it actually printed wafers in space. Uh, that was around 1995. Okay. And those wafers were brought back on ground and their performance was uh, estimated against the uh, those manufactured on ground and showed uh, enhanced performance. Okay. Also, at that time, the the quality of the vacuum you would compare that with uh, creating uh, clean rooms on ground. The quality of the vacuum in space was a factor of 10 to 100 better than on ground. I see. Okay. So all these things coupled together, again, I think they they build an attractive case to look at and open the conversation with the semiconductor industry, especially from the perspective of the climate change challenges that are currently being posed and see if this is really sustainable for long term and also how to best implement this and scale it up. I think the other aspect of it, of course, is always the, the financial aspect. And with space commercialization and with companies such as uh, SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic creating commercial capabilities of access to space, price per pound to orbit, which is usually the, the reference value, has been going down uh, significantly. Mm. We're really talking about three to $5,000 per pound to orbit. That's a significant factor compared to $30,000, $40,000 per pound to orbit in the shuttle era. And we're also looking at this number to continue to go down. So prices, I mean, to build an integrated circuit fab lab on ground, you're really talking about billions of dollars. And so I think we ought to look at what would be now a comparing cost if we were to build this, scale this up and build these factories in, in space. Right. Yeah, no, this is very interesting. So if, if I were to really boil this down and probably oversimplifying it, but you're giving an example of how if we take IC manufacturing as an example, there's yeah. a lot of cost reduction that we can look at if we manufacture in space as an example through just you don't need to use as much water given that space is anyway cold. And the quality of the ICs manufactured is also much higher or there, there's a little yeah. bit of an enhanced yeah. performance. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. So can you maybe paint a picture of what the future might look like? Tomorrow, let's say we have a thriving economy in low Earth orbit. What could that look like? I think it, it could look in a very beautiful way, especially for planet Earth. I think um, if we could move, again, data centers and a lot of the manufacturing, especially the heavy polluting manufacturing into space, we would be able to return and preserve pristine resources on Earth and we would enjoy more nature rather than pollution on the surface of the Earth. It doesn't mean that, well, we could move everything into space. I don't think that's going to be the first step. There's going to be certain things that would make more sense than others. And again, our objective here is to make sure that we're opening the conversation and we're helping through this dialogue with the industry, with the commercial space companies, create the proper approach and select the best case scenario to, to start with. 
yeah yeah so i think here it will be helpful if i can just understand your role a little bit better so as you said that right now you're sort of working at the intersection of technology like you you're you're calling yourself an entrepreneur now so maybe you can share an example of the kind of project you might work on as the microgravity lead at space portal there's there's several that i could think of to start with i did an extensive review of investigations that were done in microgravity on the international space station and on other previous uh, stations space shuttle skylab whatever i could find i also follow up with interviews with the pi's who ran these experiments to understand what's the current status of those experiments what are the publications that have emerged out of it were there any spin-offs any potential even even more uh, advanced commercialization etc and at the same time on the other end i uh, looked at uh, several industries roadmaps and try to understand what were they looking for in terms of what which directions were they looking for following for the next decade or so and identify what are areas that microgravity and space could actually be an enabler uh, or could provide a solution so it's really my function here is i would call it like a, a, a connector connecting the dots between uh, between the two and interestingly to say the unawareness about what you could do in microgravity or in space is is really low on uh, on the private sector side a lot of the r&d people in commercial laboratories or industry laboratories when they encounter a problem they don't automatically ask themselves is this problem gravity limited and could i yeah. explore a possible solution in space and this is what i think we're trying to help open up that conversation and the the third component that i was mentioning is all this wealth of commercial space companies or the new space move that provide both the hardware and the means to do those experiments in space and so again it's it's really connecting between the three and identifying new directions and enabling the communication right okay no this is very very helpful so uh, i i think in very simple terms what you're saying is that one aspect of your job is just in spreading the awareness amongst the right sectors and the right people that today it is possible for you to think about your think about potential solutions from the point of view of is there something that i can do by putting this in space so that's another variable yeah. to add to the problem yeah yeah right yeah and, that's yeah that's uh, that's that's pretty good yeah you you've captured it pretty well yeah right and i think the other aspect that you're saying is that not only are you working on creating that awareness but then also figuring out that okay let's say people are aware what kind of tools and resources do they need whether it's in the form of just laboratories or some sort of simulators i'm sure there are a bunch of other things that are needed to actually carry out those experiments yeah and 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 along the way also identify what are still remaining barriers there's opportunities but at, at the same time there's also also barriers that are still are still in place so for example if we really want to 
scale this access uh, that the industry at large has to operate in space, we need to make sure that we bring down not only the cost of access to space, but also the cost of the hardware to operate these experiments in space and be able to, again, commercialize some of this hardware, make it accessible to the community at large. Right. And so is that something which is completely under the purview of various government programs then so so the private sector will have to work with the with the government to... it it depends but I, I would say yes i would say that we're definitely at least in my opinion there's a shift from governmentally owned and operated towards what's being referred to as public private partnerships hmm. and yes engaging in meaningful ways with the private sector is one of the directions that that I see emerging and being pursued with the objective of creating shared value. Right. So let's say someone listens to your podcast and they say, wow, this sounds very interesting and maybe there's something that I want to do in terms of the space economy. How will they even know what are the kind of things to consider? Like what are the kind of opportunities that they should be thinking about? I think the mantra here that's been... I've had this question being asked before. Uh, how would you capture this in a in a short tagline? Is uh, how is gravity affecting or impacting your bottom line? That's mostly in in a business case. So when all said and done, and you're you're drawing the line, have you thought about the possible use of space and microgravity to raise your 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 bottom line? One other aspect that I would say it's it's interesting to explore, and that's probably shorter term, is a lot of the space technologies have been designed and operated to have low negative impacts for for uh, long term operation, which is not always the case when we commercialize technologies that are designed just to operate on on ground without having the space component in it. And so one of the interesting opportunity here is, again, to use space technologies, which again, have better evaluated long-term negative impacts and see if they are then a better solution for solving Earth's problems or uh, for using it or for Earth applications instead of trying to recreate them or create them anew on Earth right. independently. No, of course, of course. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so so I think, again, from thinking from that perspective and then just exploring what other companies in the new space move are doing right now, I think these are, these are examples that are worth following. I wanted to also mention that there is a, what I call the equivalent of Wall Street for space, and it's called the New Space Global. Oh, and New Space Global is actively monitoring the verticals of new space. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And so, yeah, and so that's uh, microgravity is actually one of these uh, verticals uh, <laughs> that's uh, emerging in, in this new uh, space market. Very cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. That's something good to know. Okay. Yeah. So-, uh, so resources are, are available on both NASA website as well as all these individual companies. I don't know if there is one stop for all of them. 
Again, I think that they're, they're pretty spread out. I would I would mention that again in terms of transportation and and definitely my my list is not comprehensive and I'm not advertising for any of these uh, companies <laughs> in particular. Yeah. I'm just trying to provide a sample here. Uh, Nanorax is is a company that operates on the International Space Station, made in space. They put the three, first 3D printer in in space. The recent one is really a uh, what they call a commercial uh, size um, 3D printer. Again, like like I mentioned before, SpaceX, uh, Blue Origin, right. Virgin Galactic. Uh, these are all companies that are providing access yeah. to space. Space Tango, Tango, and Kentucky Space. Uh, they're also operators into space. And then, of course, there's all these satellite, mini satellite, uh, nano satellite based companies that are offering low cost access to, to space. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, literally my mind is blown right now just to hear about that. It's not just sort of bigger companies such as SpaceX and Virgin Galactic, but now there are startups that are now starting to consider space as a viable place to be thinking about so this is this is very very cool but i would like to come back to your role now because uh, this podcast is focused more on just sort of the different careers that you can consider and so if i understand you correctly i mean what would you say is the time horizon that we're talking about when you talk about the uh, a thriving space economy what is the time horizon we're talking about it's it's difficult to say um I mean, interestingly enough, there's a book that was written by Harry Stein. It's called The Third Industrial Revolution. Mm. And I think the book printed in 1975. And it talks exactly about the fact that you could move a lot of the manufacturing into space. So... Having said that, right, 75 and we're in 2016, we haven't made that much progress in terms of establishing that economy. Uh, we definitely made significant progress, I would say, after 2007, 2010 timeframe. And it looks like it's irreversible right now. Again, the lowering of the cost is promising variable that could help establish and stabilize this economy in Earth orbit. So things could progress fairly fast or they could go a little bit slower. It, it really depends on the willpower of humanity in the end. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, would, I would say that if, if we would all see this and work together to accomplish this, it could be done faster than if we're not joining forces and we're trying to to fight against each other and who's going to do it first, maybe, which is something that, that's happened before and it's slowing us down. I think, I think conflicts in general slow down humanity's progress <laughs> overall. No, absolutely. But let, let's say we take the best case scenario. Are we talking, let's say, five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years? Let's say 20, 25. 20 yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. So I think what I'm one thing I'm curious about is that as someone who is working on something which has such a long time horizon, and I'm, by long, I mean relative to a number of people in different jobs where let's say you might be looking to, oh, you know, I need to finish this project in the next one year, right? So the time horizons typically are shorter than 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. What do you yeah. think has given you 
this perspective, this slightly longer term perspective. What do you think is special about the way you think, which sort of keeps you going towards a problem which will actually be solved so many years later? Well, let's go back to climate change, right? The climate change, and I know there's a lot of disagreement there, whether it's man-made or not. I think it's a combination. Definitely technologies used um, and created by humans have accelerated the effects that we see at the global level in terms of climate change. So what we see there is technologies that we designed with the purpose of helping us make our life better, right? And we design them with the purpose of solving an immediate need and without really thinking long-term. And now we see this cumulative effect on the long-term negative. We're at the tipping point where we see that there's a cumulative effect, negative effect of overusing these technologies. Mm -hmm. And so I think the circumstances in which we live right now should force us all in thinking more long-term and less short-term. It's almost like when you teach a child, we're all being told, hey, don't teach your child to do something for an immediate reward. Teach the child to have patience and to work towards the long-term rewards, right? It's the same with developing these technologies. I understand that a company needs to be profitable and you need to create a return on investment, ETC, but you have to create that return on investment also in a broader context and in a more responsible manner. So I think, again, what we're experiencing here is a global shift in terms of being more responsible for how do we develop these technologies, being able to ask, wait a second, we have now the experience of the previous set of technologies. Are the new technologies that we're seeking to solve these solutions really solving the solutions? Or down the line, they're going to actually create even more problems. Yeah, yeah. And so I I think we are in general... Based on the lesson learned, we're seeing this tendency of maybe thinking twice and doing once. So that's what I think motivates my approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a great answer. Mm -hmm. And another thing which I'm curious about is that you are trying to commercialize something which, as you said, very few people know about and maybe not a lot of people understand either. So what kind of challenges does that pose for you? Um, I think it goes back to, I think most of the time what I see is sort of like, oh, this is so interesting that the response, right, on the other party side, when I when I talk to them, they're like, well, this is so interesting. I've never thought about it. A lot of people say, well, I thought I was doing innovative things. And here it is something that's really, truly, utterly, utterly innovative. And I, and I never thought about it. And it's it's this puzzling effect that it has first, but then people really quickly come around and say, well, I want to learn more. I, I want to be part of it. And so I think it's more of the challenge of shifting a mindset and shifting the perspective 
that actually you, you can do something beyond the surface of the earth and how that is transformative, truly, a truly transformative process. For the rest, I think another challenge is, you know, space technologies, like, like maybe other technologies developed on, on ground. One common cha- challenge is the fact that the first generation of technologies that are out there providing solutions rely on an existing infrastructure that really it, it was costly to put in place. And so the next generation of technology comes in and it hits the first generation and it cannot infuse, it cannot be deployed because now we're in this conundrum of, oh, what would we do with this infrastructure? If we change it, it means that we need to drop this infrastructure, completely replace it so that we can adopt these new technologies. So again, this is this is a big challenge in general for commercialization. So it's not particular to space technologies, but definitely it makes it harder for space technologies to be commercialized and infused, especially we're talking here about an emerging market. So that's yeah. definitely an important factor. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I probably don't want to spend too much time on it, but have you yeah. found any techniques that have helped you in changing the mindset of people, even though they do get interested in how how do you change the mindset enough that they actually decide to invest into space? I think I'm I'm persistent. I try to provide as much as I can references to facts. I try to stay fact-based, even if it, it sounds visionary, definitely want to try to keep it tangible. And, you know, a lot of people actually have been asking me, well, how do I know this is not science fiction? And so <laughs> I've tried to give myself the same answer of what distinguishes between something that's doable and something that's science fiction and, you know, very sketchy. The distinction is I consider science fiction something that we need to hire an artist to do an artist perspective on something, right? Like maybe like an orbital city, ETC. I mean, again, the technologies are there and we could integrate them, but we never really built an orbital city. So that's more in the science fiction realm. The, The tangible stuff is stuff that we've developed, we've run, we've operated in space, in the relevant environment. And so that's, to me, not science fiction. Now, I understand that for a lot of people who, again, do not spend their daily lives thinking about these things, it may sound science fiction. But again, to me, the only way that I can really sound realistic is staying focused and basing my arguments on facts and examples yeah, and yeah. data points. Yeah. So globally, if I were to think about globally speaking how many people are doing something similar to what you are doing what approximate range would you put to that number oh it's i don't know it's it's a well yeah i mean if you if you reference it to i, I think we're like uh, we've hit 8 billion humans on earth yeah. i think it's a it's a low percentage but i also don't think it's a negligible percentage i i think especially in the U.S. where the space program is more more part of the daily lives of people. I think there's, there's definitely more people thinking and working on this on a daily basis. Globally, if you, if you reference it to the total 
Earth population, it's it's probably a small percentage. Yeah. But that but it doesn't mean that this percentage cannot grow, and especially with the new generations coming in that have new energy, new ideas, new hopes, this percentage will will grow. Uh, and I would say, coupled with the space democratization, uh, it will grow really fast. So. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the interest in space is absolutely growing. The reason I asked that question is that I am so fascinated by just the trajectory of your career. You come from Romania, and today you're the microgravity lead at Space Portal. I mean, and there's a lot that that you've already done, and you're working on truly groundbreaking technologies. So what do you think are some of the key decisions that you've taken in your career? which have helped you come to where you are today? Um, It's interesting to say, but I was never focused on making money. I was focused on making an impact and also being curious and trying to find the best answer that I could to questions that bugged me or the problems that, that I came across. I also felt that I didn't get here by myself. Of course, I've, I had a lot of support at different times and moments throughout my career. And I also think that at least the way I grew up is that, you know, you learn and you try to make good use of your environment and your mentors up to a point in your career. And then you try to give back as much as you can in a, in a meaningful manner. So I think I've I've always tried to keep that in my heart when I I followed a path versus another. Yeah, I mean, I, and I tried to stay true to myself. That's um that was that was very important. I actually have been told that I have two high values. I don't know what two <laughs> high values means, but I'm I'm pretty serious about that. Can you share an example, maybe where you might have, where someone else may have perhaps compromised, but you didn't? I don't know. The way that, just just in general, I'm not saying, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people around myself that are dedicated to their jobs and to what they do. I think some people only do so much and then they say, well, you know, it's this is work and this is the rest. To me, um, Work has become um, a lot of my life somehow. Mm-hmm. It, it's an integral part of my life. And I guess I only know how to give the best in it. And again, I'm, I'm not the only one. I know people who put a lot of passion into what they do and, and a lot of dedication. But I also know people who uh, just treat their job like, like a job. And um, yeah. I think it, it makes a big difference. No, you love what you do. And that is pretty apparent in just how you're talking about your work. So my follow-up question then is that let's say you were to replace yourself as the microgravity lead. What qualities would you look for in the person who were to replace you? <laughs> I think it it needs to be a person, and I, I, I do see in the next generation having educational opportunities in terms of integrating across multiple disciplines. I think that that is key because microgravity or, well, gravity, 
underlies the world around us. So when you take it away, you need to understand its implication to the world around us at large, right? From life science to material science to including the way we think and the way our brain is calibrated ever since we've been born. So having a very diverse and good, deep understanding of of different fields, being technically creative, wanting to connect things, being focused on the outcome. I think I'm, I'm a pretty pragmatic person in terms of if I do something, how does this truly solve a problem? And always approach, again, the next thing that you're doing from the perspective is of what is it the outcome that I'm seeking and how am I going to get to that outcome? Don't get lost in the forest, right? And forget to yeah. see the forest from the from the trees. Yeah, yeah. So when you say technically creative, what does that mean? Hmm. I guess having worked in many different fields, I realized that there are solutions from engineering that could be very well applied to science or thinking from science that could be applied in engineering and it could be beneficial, but it's not customarily done. Not being afraid to challenge the state of the art. And I really don't want to sound arrogant here, but I really believe that nobody knows all the answers. And so I am not shy in questioning even, you know, what may appear the most established authority out there. And I always try to convince myself how much of what the state of the art that's out there is truly state of the art and what are the unanswered questions that still need to be to be addressed not being shy on using a combination of tools and methodologies whatever is needed again to solve the problem even if those solutions are coming from a non-traditional field right okay all right. Yeah. So I, I guess it's coming back of someone who has to be a very, very strong problem solver and probably has an understanding of a large number of fields, at least to some extent, to do some sort of pattern matching across fields. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So can you share an example of a tough situation that you might have faced on this job? Um, I think it, it boils down to... I don't know if it's a tough situation, but it is a challenging problem to solve right now. So it's this conundrum of you want to share what your thinking is and you want to share, because again, as a, as a, it is one of the functions of the government to freely disseminate the information, but it doesn't mean that you don't protect your IP. So how do you then best merge and are sensitive to the different sides. I think it saddens me when I see people who are mostly focused on making a profit and without having the will to compromise between making a profit and creating something of value. I think we do have a lot of issues regarding that. Again, the other thing, and we, we see this in science a lot happening where people say, well, you know, I've, I've had an idea, 
I'm going to protect it no matter what. Mm-hmm. And you protect it to the extent that it never gets used, right? Yeah. yeah. And so then, you know, it's it's just an idea that's floating out there in the in, in a bubble yeah. and nobody can reach it. Yeah. And I think that that defeats the purpose of, of having that idea and having that idea be useful. On the other hand, I think it is extremely important that ideas are properly referenced and acknowledged. And so we, we all should be respectful towards each other's contribution and and openly acknowledge, you know, that each of us with the with the tiny pushes that we do we move all of us forward. Yeah, no, that is great. And I completely agree with you that we need more people who are focused on creating value rather than profit. And somewhere along the lines, they will probably hopefully merge. But well, there was there was this idea out there, right? With instead of replacing businesses that only have, um, so you have a single bottom line, right? To a triple bottom line, uh, (laughs) which means, what is it? Profitable, sustainable and people friendly right focused on people yeah yeah and and like like any new concept i think it's 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 implementation it's challenging right and it it goes back to what you asked me before is how do you present this new concept in a light that's attractive to people and doesn't scare people away in embracing it yeah yeah so if i were to ask you that you want to what do you think will make you say that you have been successful in your role? Um, to me is before I die, I, I get to see this robust economy in lower orbit. It means I, I spelled my life well and I've done my job. <laughs> um, and I've left something of value to my kids and to the next generation. And I, I've helped, I think just, Talking to many people and if people can remember, hey, look, you know, yes, I've talked to Ioana and by talking to her, I've been able to change my mindset. And after that, you know, I've been able to make a contribution. I think, again, that's uh, that would be to me extremely valuable and it, it would mean that I've done my job well. Yeah. So what do you, in your opinion, what do you think have been some of the biggest influences in your career? I mean, clearly you've had a very successful career. What have been some big influences? I think having my professor back in Romania at during the university, he's always encouraged me. I was always curious to run a lot of experiments and to do a lot of stuff outside of the uh, standard curriculum. And he has always encouraged me to do so and, and supported me to continue my, my work during the summer, even if we were not in school. Mm-hmm. So that was that was during my college years. I've had a, a great advisor during my PhD in, in the Netherlands. He, you know, coming from Romania, of course, there was a barrier for me to go over in terms of living in a in a Western country, in a in yeah. a different mentality and culture. But again, he's always provided me with with the right suggestions and resources and patience and, and understanding from where I was coming from. And then uh, my professor from Caltech, who... I will never forget the fact that he had probably at that time around 100 students in his group on Material and Process Simulation Center. And yet he would spend his time, would make sure that at least once a week, 
he would talk to every single one of them wow. and yeah. in a in a very meaningful manner in the sense that he would actually ask you okay explain to me where you are how did you think about this problem and then he would continue to poke at you oh have you thought about this have you looked at this and he would say well you haven't done this go back and so it's it's just that constant never stopping flux of questions have you checked your facts? Have you gone and asked yourself and convinced yourself about every single assumption that you're making in your model or every single simulation? Have you checked your parameters? Just the, you know, the, the detailed uh, uh, orientation on, on that, that was extremely influential. And then um, I could say currently, Dr. Dan Rasky, who is the director of the, of the space portal, the fact that he's treated me with the utmost respect and he's just given me basically uh, the trust and free hand in finding a solution to a problem and, um, you know, providing me with, with a, an extremely healthy and uh, environment for, for growing. Yeah. I think having, having people, you know, just, I could, I could actually collapse this into one thing working with people who trusted me that, you know, I, I really do not want to let people who trust me down. So I would work, I would work really hard to make sure that I give back, uh, I return that trust. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I hear this common theme pretty much across most people mm -hmm. who've been successful, that they've had these key people, figures in their lives who really trusted them. And that's what really helped build their confidence. And, you know, they went on to do great things. So uh, oh. I just have a few more questions from the point of view of maybe, you know, someone listens to your podcast and he or she says, wow, I want to do what Dr. Ioana is doing. So um, how do you recommend that someone, let's say someone is in school right now, what mm -hmm. would you recommend they do if they want to be doing what you are doing? Um, well, you know, this this is actually an, an, an interesting questions because question because definitely one of the um, one of the ideas or suggestions that we have made was to create so right right now everything that has to do with space is usually available through the aerospace departments and i think we are at the point where we maybe need to look back into the educational system and create a separate space department that that's focused on this I think there used to be, and I think it's still there, a microgravity university. And I think it's run out of NASA Johnson Space Center. I see. Maybe working with uh, these private space companies, it's definitely a good idea. And ideally, what we want to do is to see more jobs being created in using microgravity for the benefit of different companies. So let's say we have microgravity experts in residence at, at different companies create such a program. That was definitely one of the ideas and suggestions or recommendations we, we made and tie this to the proper education at aerospace space departments in, in, in universities. While again, that, that is not necessarily in place in a connected, formalized manner, I think 
one way to do it is to just keep that in mind. And even if you pursue a science career, maybe you can do a collaboration with someone from the aerospace department during your your college years, as well as PhD, or try to define your own project that you're interested in and seek to build the the space aspect or the microgravity aspect of it. Again, I mean, it's 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 part of the purpose of our lives to to create our own path. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I do agree with you that uh, right now, a lot of these programs have to be put in place, at least in a more structured way, but maybe going down the private sector route. So maybe working at SpaceX or Blue Origin might be a sort of more straightforward path right now or you could just yeah again and that's on. that's that's more like uh you know having having the hands-on experience but again in terms of the utilization per se of space and microgravity i think that part is more right now even if there's no structured program in place i think it's actually a great opportunity because again if you have the motivation and the interest then you can create something new you can create your own path in this realm of of the demand of the utilization oh no absolutely actually one thing which i wanted to ask is that right now in this field given in microgravity given that it is still such an early it is in early phases what are the requirements in terms of the kind of people that you're looking for do they have to have very technical backgrounds so phds in some field or the other or are you also looking at other backgrounds yeah, I think I think right now is 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 a mix, right? You could say that looking for applications and looking for for creating meaningful things, it's it's more like almost like a business development type of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, having also the the understanding of the business aspects of it, not only the technical side of it. I think that 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 has now become an important aspect. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there was one thing that we were trying to to see if we could start. I think we went to Stanford to talk a little bit, and we we thought how how cool it would be to create a program where we would encourage teams of students to be formed, where they would have someone from the business, someone from the engineering, and someone yeah. from the science that would create these startups around you know yeah uh, that would be a awesome. problem or another. So yeah. you really need these mixed teams. Yeah. in order to succeed uh, right now in this realm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah, that's pretty much it. So let's say someone comes up to you and says that, okay, Dr. Rwana, I think I've made up my mind and I want to work in microgravity. What advice would you have for them? Well, I'll, I'll wish them good luck. I think <laughs> it's doable and this is what we need. We need people who have the motivation and the persistence to, to do so. So if they decide to start, my advice is don't stop it. Take it till the end. Okay. All right. I can't think of a better note to end the podcast on. So thank you so much. I understand you have a bad throat. So I yeah. stressed you a little bit, but thank you so much. This was very, yeah. very inspirational. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Sonali. Thanks. Thanks so much also. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Bye. Alright, so that was Dr. Iowana on creating an economy in low Earth orbit. And I hope that this discussion has inspired you to start thinking about how you can solve your problems by maybe solving them in space. Right? 
Anyway, yeah, so I really hope that you enjoyed today's discussion. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Dr. Iowana or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com. You can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. That's at LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. You can also check out our website at www.learneducatediscover.com and that has a collection of all the episodes that we've done so far and I'm also putting together transcripts of the episodes that we've done so far. You can also sign up to get updates via email so do check out the website if that's of interest to you and of course if you really enjoy what we're doing, if you enjoy our episodes, you can subscribe to the show. You can search for Learn, Educate, Discover on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher and then you can hit subscribe and of course while you're at it, please leave us a review. Your reviews mean a lot. They really make my day. So leave a review and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. So check us out at any of those places and that's it for today. Thank you so much for your time and for listening and until the next one, take care and bye-bye.